Hi, this is your host Jojo Binks and you're listening to I Can Talk Underwater podcast where you can learn anything and everything under the sun. Pretty much, you will learn random shit. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome back to the pod. I hope you had a good week for people that celebrate the Lunar New Year. Happy New Year. My friends and I went to the National Gallery Victoria to see the Dragon Dance. They are just amazing. Those people are so fit. I hope a lot of you received some red envelopes with a little bit something in it. Thank you so much for your feedback for the part one of egg donation. This is such an important topic because as mentioned before, not many people know about egg donation or not aware of the process of egg donation. With the infertility rates increasing, egg donation as well as sperm donation is becoming more important. According to the Women's Health Research Program, infertility affected millions of people globally and an estimated one in six couples in Australia. In their study, Women reporting infertility is steadily increasing in Australia. This topic it is very important because there are more re- recipients wanting some egg than there's donors out there. In this episode, we are going to be continuing the conversation from the last episode. We're going to be covering the IVF process, the financial implications, and some of the legal requirements that you will go through as part of the egg donation journey. So now, were you able to step us through the process of we found the recipients and then you got to go ahead with the journey? What was the first step? The first step really is about finding, if they've already got a specialist, you'll have an appointment with their fertility specialist so they can do some testing and make sure that you are a good option for it as a donor so they check you know your do some medical tests and things like that blood tests make sure you're okay and you also need to go through the process of doing the counseling with the IVF clinic so they have a number of sessions that you do individually as well as at least one or two sessions as a group as well with the recipients as well as any partner the partner your partner as well as their partner and anyone who's going to be involved in the process. Yeah, so I think that's what the process we had was getting those checks, making sure everything's good to go physically, but also that you've talked about all the potential sort of emotional implications as well and that kind of thing. Okay. So we went through that process and then it was about actually meeting with the nurse once we got the go-ahead that everything was fine. Generally, you meet with one of the nurses involved in the clinic and they go through the whole process of of going through IVF, as a, which I think first time you do that, it's fairly daunting. Yeah. <laughs> Having to do that whole process of injecting yourself with the hormones and all that sort of stuff was daunting. But once I'd done it a few times, I felt like I could do it with my eyes closed. You know? Yeah. So you did the counselling and then you have, did a lot of medical tests, like blood tests and meeting with specialists. When do you start injections? Is it like before your period, after your period, during your period? Generally, depending on whether you're going to be doing, planning a fresh or a frozen transfer, kind of depends on whether you need to synchronize your period with your recipients as well. 
So if you're doing a fresh transfer, you want to make sure that you're trying to, you synchronize your cycles so that they'll be ready and about to ovulate, I think is how it works, when you transfer that fresh embryo after it's developed to the point where it's a blastocyst and can be transferred over. But generally, the length of time that you're taking the, I'm just trying to remember, I'm pretty sure it starts around your period. When your period starts, it's when you start taking the injections. And then it's around, I think it really depends on the length of your cycle and how things are going with developing your, the eggs and the way that they're growing. But I think for me, it was always around 15 days of taking the injections. For some people, it might be 11. For some people, it might be like 19 days. I think it's like wow. a range there because it really depends. They monitor you throughout the time that you're taking those injections and they're checking the size and the amount of eggs that you're developing. They're adjusting medications depending on how you're responding to it, but they want to get them at the perfect size before they do the egg retrieval and they want a good amount. The amount isn't as probably as important. So the quality. Want, yeah, yeah, it's the quality rather than the quantity. But generally they will stimulate you to create a lot more than you normally would. Normally you only have one egg each cycle. I got up to like between 10 and 30 each time. Wow, so. that's a lot. <laughs> which, yeah, Your which, mother had not the a healthy, fertile woman, I think is, you know, if you want, once you start taking the, the hormones that kind of induce or produce, I'm trying to get the right wording. I'm not really science minded. That's so. fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I may not use the right terms. I, I think I used to feel a little bit guilty that I used to produce so many. It's all these recipients who are struggling to get even just one egg from, went from taking the same kind of hormones. hormone. And I'm just like, here you go. <laughs> this is how many I can get. But that's the difference between someone who has fertility issues and someone who doesn't. Yeah. That you can produce a lot more if you stimulate the ovaries enough. Yeah. So they want more because they get more chances at creating an embryo. But I think that I'm trying to remember what the statistics are, but generally you'll lose about half of the eggs from when you do the, when they introduce the sperm, that about half of them will not fertilize. And then you lose about half again. When you, when you go through the process of waiting for them to develop into an, a blastocyst, into an embryo. I think the statistic is they said it takes 11 eggs to produce one child. Yeah. And for people that can That's only average, produce yeah. three, then mm -hmm. yeah, it is quite yeah. difficult. You're reducing your chances a huge. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were injecting your hormones, I know it's a bit quite daunting, hurting yourself. It's basically stabbing yourself, right? In your brain. Uh -huh. It's like, why are you doing <laughs> yeah. to yourself? Did you have any side effects? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Not so much during, I think during the actual taking of the medication, I didn't mind the injection, injecting part. Oh, wow. Like I got rid of the initial fear of it. I almost became to enjoy it, which is maybe a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I definitely found, I got some woman of headaches, which... I get them now anyway with my period. So that's normal for me to get headaches when my hormones are being messed with. And then, but late, I found mainly, it was actually more after the egg retrieval that I had more symptoms. During the actual process, it wasn't too bad. Definitely because I tend to produce a lot of eggs, I'd get really uncomfortable by the end. Like it would actually feel like being pregnant. <laughs> yeah. With that. I'd get so close. Yeah. And I, I remember on the way to my egg retrieval, 
once you've done the, the trigger, for some reason, so you take a trigger injection in order to release the eggs just before, I think it's about 72 hours before the retrieval day. So you take this trigger and for some reason after the trigger, you always feel way more full. So I remember heading to the, into the way into the city and I'm heading to the retrieval and it felt like I was carrying a watermelon. It was just like, this is ridiculous. It's not, it's not like I'm pregnant. How does it feel like pregnancy right now? So yeah, definitely felt that fullness just because so many eggs were stimulated from the process for me. Other people say they don't really notice it. Like, I'm, and some people might maybe produce a few, like smaller quantities of eggs and don't feel that such a sort of, yeah, exploding feeling. And yeah, but it was more so after the retrieval that I would feel like, yeah, have quite a bit of pain afterwards. What were the pains? And I think it just, yeah, it was just like really bad period pain, I think is how I remember it. And I didn't cope very well. I think I didn't really, my body didn't cope very well with the anesthetic. My body doesn't seem to like going to sleep and waking back up again, even not a very long time. Yeah. So that's definitely, I did request, I think for one of the later ones, I requested to do it with a local instead of a general. Yeah. A lot of the fertility specialists don't like that because it's much easier to do it while you're asleep. They don't have to be so quite so gentle with you. Yeah. They might not trust that you're going to be able to stay still or quite sure with, at a risk of, being giving too much information my bowels don't wake up for a long time afterwards but part of the pain for me was actually the constipation and having yeah lots of bowel issues afterwards which would just combine with the, the pain from the actual so my last one I actually the nurses were really lovely and gave me lots of tips for how to avoid some of that stuff and all I had to do to avoid that was take a laxative I think on the day of the just before so that everything would be working smoothly yeah, um, yeah, after the retrieval. And that actually helped heaps. Such a simple thing. I think there were a couple of other things they did, but I can't remember exactly what it was. But the nurses were really good. So other than the constipation, did you have any other symptoms? Yeah, it was mainly just pain. I think I had, so one of the things that you may have heard of is the ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. So I think I would suffer from some mild, not, nothing serious, but mild overstimulation because I would have quite an excessive amount of eggs collected. So that was, so yeah, some of the symptoms, I don't remember what the symptoms are of OHSS. All I can really remember was that I'd be in quite a bit of pain for a few yeah. days and that it quite settled. So for me, it was, how long did it last for? It didn't properly clear up until I got my next period. For me, like whenever I knew I was going to do an egg donation, I'd think about the fact that physically I wouldn't be feeling well for about a month. Oh, wow. So it's, that's how much time I was committed to. Physically, I'm not going to be feeling normal for about a month because you got two weeks of injecting yourself and that can cause a few different physical symptoms and then two weeks afterwards until your next period. And then I'd find after that, back to normal again. Yeah. <laughs> So with yeah. so the two weeks of injecting your your the hormones, there is a lot of doctor's appointments during that two yeah. week period. How much appointments were there? They give you a schedule, so they give you they draw out a schedule for you that's very clear about what times you're taking your injections, when you have to come in for appointments. Generally, the appointments are all booked in advance so that you know exactly when you need to take time off to come in and things like that, and. 
towards the end, you might have extra appointments because they want to monitor things more closely or there might be something like maybe you're not responding how they hope and they want to check things a bit more frequently, for example. But otherwise, you tend to know exactly okay. when you're going to be going in at the beginning of the process because they tell you what dates you're coming in for appointments and things. How long do the appointments go for? Not very long, generally. Okay, so it's just more of a just a quick let's do a scan and sending you home and then you finding out the results afterwards for how you went. In Australia, you can't get paid to donate your eggs. It's all altruistic. What are the financial implications for the recipients that you guys had to agree with from the get-go? Yeah, basically the understanding is that there should be no cost at all to the donor. So that was agreed from the beginning. Things like even just the transport, the cost of transport to the clinic for appointments was that's the understanding and the agreement was that that should be paid for. All of the medical sign stuff gets paid for and billed to the recipients and shouldn't come to the donor at all. Sometimes they might accidentally send me something or, or the clinic might send me a bill and I just go, here you go, forward it on. But then there's other things too that you probably don't think about taking medication, like supplements and things like that. I did that. I know that I took the kind of pregnancy multivitamins and things like that in the lead up. But other things can come up. I don't think we had anything major that came up in terms of impacts on me physically, but even things like, I guess, if you needed treatment afterwards or something, the understanding is that should be paid for. But I, yeah, it wasn't too cut. I think for me, it was with my friend, probably a little harder for me sometimes to ask. Like it's there's a bit more like when you're doing it for someone that's a bit more of a stranger and your relationship is based around transactions. It's a bit easier to ask for money. But when you've had an existing friendship, we've been friends for, I'm trying to think, for 20 years or something. Yeah, it's a little bit harder to ask. It's, but that's really more on, on me, probably. Yeah. <laughs> they were and quite I, happy anytime I asked to pay for anything that needed to be paid for. They want, they would try to throw money at me half the time, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what, what I, I read at the forum that most of the time recipients are very, mm. it's difficult for them to ask for money to be all, asking for money just to be reimbursed on the expenses yeah. that they've incurred yeah. as a direct result of the yeah. IVF process. What about the sick leave if you had taken appointments? Yeah. Yeah. So did I they did reimburse have, that? Yeah, they did. Yeah. I probably... I was a little bit naive and I think it was being in some of the groups that helped me realize some of those. There might have been a few things that I let go and thought, oh, I didn't actually think to do that. Like it didn't occur to me. One of them, there were a few occasions where I lost work because I'm a teacher and I think I was doing relief teaching at the time. So if I didn't work, I wouldn't get paid Yeah, because <laughs> I wasn't entitled to sick leave or anything like that. So there are a few occasions like that where I probably didn't think I had to turn down work or something because I had an appointment and didn't think to ask that but, but definitely once I realized all about what I was entitled to a bit more and became a bit more empowered by some of the comments that you know, other people were making in the Facebook group and things like that it was much easier for me to advocate for myself and say actually I would have got this much money for this but I had to take this much time off work yeah but you still need to be reimbursed like if, especially if you, mm. you said that you had to turn down work because you have yeah. an appointment that sh you should not lose money because yeah. you're doing something yeah you're doing this process yeah, for someone definitely what do you think about donors 
receiving gifts from their recipients in terms of accepting that? How do you, how did you deal with that? Look, I think it happens quite a lot because I think the recipients feel so immensely grateful for the gift. They were nothing they could do but ever repay what you're giving them. And so many just want to show their appreciation in some way. So I think it's pretty common for recipients to lavish gifts upon their, their donors. I just, I think if you have a, a trusting relationship with, with your, between the donor and the recipient, and there's an understanding that this isn't, I'm not paying you for something. It's just me showing my appreciation for you and my care for you and an expression of the, the love, if you want to call it that, but in that relationship, I don't see a big issue with that. I think it's important that the recipients show their appreciation and care. And one of the ways that they can do that is with gifts. It is one of the love languages after all. So of course, I think that if there's an understanding that this is just their way of expressing, thank you. saying thank you and looking after their mm. recipient too. I think I know that there's quite a few donors who've received like care packages and things like that. And I think it's a really nice thing to do. And I would, I think that should happen every time in my opinion. Yeah. When you've gone through that process, it's cost you a lot physically to go yeah. through that process of doing the IVF. And so it's really nice to get, I think, to get something nice that shows that you're getting, that they, they want to look after you and that they appreciate you. And I think my biggest fear about donating is as soon as they harvest my eggs, they just leave and forgot about mm. me and they just dump me. And that has happened to people yeah. from the forum, which is, yeah. I think if that happens, it's not, I think I'll be fine with it. But then for me, I'm like, oh my God, I just help these people to create a human being and they don't have yeah. any values. Their values is yes. just yeah. something that, I can't find them to, to do for another person that gave you this gift of life and then they just drop you. Yeah. And I think that's what, for me, that's the biggest fear, not just, I guess, being feel rejected is fine. I'm an adult, but just that person that I help create is going to grow up with his yeah. family that doesn't have the values yeah. that I, yeah, that's yeah that I agree. Yeah. yeah. And you don't want to come out of it feeling used. Um, yeah. I think it's a big thing to put your body through and I think it can be, you can, it can stir up a lot of emotions for people, I think, because it's your body and you are, it can be a little bit, if it's not handled in the right way, it can be violating. You don't want to go through something like that and feel in the end, like you were just an object to them and you were used because that can make it, if you feel like your body's not your own. Yeah. So I think it's incredibly important that the recipients do that aftercare and don't just drop you straight away and show that they care about you. Yeah. Legal requirements wise, did you have to sign any papers in terms of giving up your rights to these eggs? I don't remember signing anything like legally or officially. I think that was just explained to me and to the recipients that it's no longer legally mine once it, once that genetic material has been handed over. Although there is that still that sense of I'm trying to remember until, I'm just trying to remember what the actual legalities of it are. But my understanding is, because especially in terms of when I donated my eggs to the first stranger, if you want to call them that, 
technically I would, at any point after you've completed that donation, you can actually say not. You can mm-hmm. still legally, t- technically you still have a kind of certain amount of ownership and you can still actually stop them from going through with the donation, through with the transfer and using those eggs after you've done the donation. From what I understand, I could be wrong, but that's my understanding of how yeah. it works. Yes, yeah, so different states have and states and territories mm, have different legal requirements. And this is what really annoys me. It's very difficult to find those information. So I found this information from for Victoria. You're right. Yeah. It said that until the day of transfer, even though it's mm-hmm. already an embryo, it's still legally yeah. yours. You can stop the transfer. And then while doing this episode, I can't find that website again because I want okay. a link. And yeah. and that should not be hard to find. No. You should be able no. to write it on Google and that should be like the very first thing that mm. comes up with. Yeah. It's definitely covered during the counselling. I remember okay. that being mm. covered during the counselling. And it was something that probably came up again for me because this person wasn't going to use them and there was a sense of I'd handed over that, those eggs, but mm. then that kind of, it was like they're coming back to me on my choice. Yeah. So I do with, they had to be part of that process though. I guess perhaps there will be like some paperwork that you've signed a waiver or not a waiver, like a an, an, an statement that you've agreed on that yeah, one agree. you yeah. transfer yeah. these eggs, they're no longer yours yeah. and you have no legal rights to that egg. Yes. I, I'm and, pretty sure. I'd signed yeah. a few things. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And similarly, yeah. and I think legally that donor child has no access to your assets. So they're yeah. not. Yeah. your child really and they have yeah. no rights to to take over or ask for money from you in the future yeah. if you have any advice for new donors what would it be advice my advice is generally do it <laughs> yeah because it's amazing and still sometimes I just forget how incredible it was to do something like this and I really, sometimes I'll meet someone new and I'll tell them about, I like talking about it. I like talking about what I've done, encouraging more people to do it because I know there's a shortage of donors and not everyone can do it. So those who can, I'd say, yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah. And I really love the response I get from people sometimes who are just like, I've had people cry when I tell them what I've done because they're so moved by it because it's the biggest, some people are like, that's the biggest gift you could possibly give. Yeah. To someone. It's a gift of a family and a child, but you've created a family that didn't exist before. And so it's so really nice sometimes where I go, oh yeah, it was actually, wasn't it? Because it's become such a normal thing for me. Oh yeah, I did this thing. No big deal. (laughs) But it's nice to be reminded that it is a big deal. And I'm very proud of what I've done. I understand and respect people who say I couldn't do that because I understand that there's ethical and also attachment to the egg. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the thing for me is the needs of that potential child have to be the most important thing and more important than the needs of the intended parents or the donors. I think that's really important. That's not lost. Sometimes I feel like the desire of a parent or potential parent to have a child can sometimes get in the way of what's actually best for that child. So I think that's always the most important thing just have at the forefront is that nothing should be compromised for the child just because this, the adults or the parents or the donor have a particular idea of how it should go or what they want. But I think otherwise, in terms of advice, I'd say 
to be prepared to be uncomfortable for about a month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. It affects everyone differently, but to consider the physical impact of that time. But also I've been through emotionally a lot. I think that you don't realize just how like, there's been a lot of highs, but there's definitely been a lot of lows as well. And having been through things like the pregnancy loss, especially the one at full term, that has been an enormous impact on me emotionally. So I think I would also say be prepared that this is going to be probably one of the most important things you've ever done, but yeah. also one of the most difficult as well. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's such a wonderful act and your recipients are very lucky to have you in their lives. And the fact that you offered that you, to your friend, you offered, she didn't ask. And that was like this very wonderful thing. Thanks again for coming and I really appreciate your time. We have covered a lot of subtopics about egg donation in the last two episodes. I want to discuss a little bit more on some parts of it. First of all, is the health impact of the IVF process to the donors. For me, I wish that I knew about egg donation when I was a bit younger. I am 38 years old now. The idea of this didn't part until I was already about to turn 38, around July 2023, last year. The last surgery that I had, I had a really bad reaction to anesthetic where I couldn't breathe when I woke up and it was, I had chest pains for a month, even though I was just walking or going upstairs. For me, I'm getting worried that if I keep going under anesthesia, the chest pains will not go away. So personally, if I don't get the recipients by the time I turn 39, I will put a towel and put this idea to bed because my health is quite important. Also, on my Instagram reels, I did mention that you can donate anonymously. What I meant with that is you can donate your eggs through, for example, in Victoria in Royal Women's Hospital. Your eggs will go to the egg bank. There is a, a level of anonymity there and the donors don't choose the recipients of their eggs. We mentioned in part one, in Australia, there is no anonymous donation. When the child comes to an age and they want to be in contact with their donor, they'll be able to contact you. This is not for the donor child to get access to the financial asset of the donor. It is psychologically tested that it is very important for anyone to, to know where they come from genetically. These series of questions came from Victorian Assisted Reproductive Treatment Authority or VATA. If you're thinking about donating, um, these are the, some of the questions that you might want to consider. Why do you want to donate? How would you feel? about a child conceived from your donation? What are your thoughts about your role with children born as a result of your donation? How would you feel if the parents have different values and ways of parenting compared to yours? How would your donation affect your partner, children, and extended family? What would you tell your family? They will also be genetically linked to any offsprings born from your donation. We've covered a bit of the legal requirements in the episode, but I want to reiterate it a little bit more. So 
All donors and people having donor treatment are required to have counseling before they proceed. It is illegal to receive payments for donating, although a donor may be compensated for reasonable expense related to their donation. The woman treated and her partner are the legal parents. The donor is not the legal parent of the donor-conceived child. Therefore, the donor has no legal rights or obligations to the child born as a result of their donation. Equally, the child does not have any legal right to make a claim on donor's estate. In Australia, donors can legally donate to create up to 10 families, including his or her own family. There is a forum called Egg Donation Australia. They have yeah. a Facebook group. There are a lot of people out there that can share their stories to you. And they also have some links to other places where you can get some more information. Another thing that I want to highlight is the IVF process is so expensive. I was speaking to the, the recipients before and they have spent over $100,000 on IVF treatments with no baby. And that just break my heart. That Australian government should be better with subsidizing the IVF fees due to the fertility issues that we're currently facing. Australia have an aging population for tax purposes and for Australia to keep going as an economy. We need babies. We need new people to continue this lifestyle that Australia have. I think this is something that the government should really look into, increasing the subsidies for IVF treatments and also do some inquiries for these IVF fertility clinics as to whether they are charging the right amount of money or are they taking advantage of vulnerable people out there. If you do think that you can donate your eggs, please consider it because there are a lot of families out there that are wanting your help. It is a gift of life and this is one of the best gifts that you can give to someone. And again, thank you so much, Zoe, for sharing your experience of this very important topic. Anyways, I will be a little bit selfish here. If you listen to my episodes, can you please like and leave comments on my Instagram account called I Can Talk Underwater Podcast. I would like to receive some validations so I will feel loved. And also my algorithm will also feel loved. And if you haven't done so, please leave five-star ratings on any streaming platforms that you're listening this podcast from. Thank you again, and I look forward to speak to you soon. Until next time, love you long time. Bye!